0: Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church.
1: Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. And That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. And can you imagine what it would be like to be one of the first followers of Christ? How Jesus related to those guys is a way to anticipate how he might relate to us and how we can be faithful followers now in the 21st century. Pastor Sean today is going to focus on a guy named Peter. The message is called, What to Do with a Rock? It's time for Real Life Radio.
0: We all have gifts. They're all God-given. They're all different. And they are all absolutely packed full of potential. See, Peter's life stands as a powerful illustration of a very key spiritual principle. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. In the bulletin we have notes. You should follow along in those. Illustration of a key principle, and it's this. Gifts are only as good as the hands that they're placed in. Gifts are only as good as the hands that they're placed in. Be sure to place your gifts in the right hands. Gifts are only as good as the hands they're placed in. Be sure they're placed in the right hands. It's kind of like a double-edged sword. Have you experienced that? That in the area where your gifts, your talents, the things that you're strong in, when they are surrendered to God's spirit, they become an incredible power for force. And really, that is a cool kind of catalytic experience. When your gifts, the gifts God gave you, the gifts and talents and tendencies that he made you to have, when they are in alignment with his spirit leading, his purpose, his direction, it's explosive in its potential. And you can feel it. It's like all of a sudden the fruit and the good things that come are far more than the natural gifts could accomplish in, them, in themselves. That being said, if you've paid any attention at all, you know those areas of strength, those gifts, those talents, those traits, when they are in the flesh, they can be very much a double-edged sword. and They can cause hurt, pain. They can cause more damage because they're strengths. I mean, think about it. Whatever the gift is, ever since I was a little kid, I had a gift for communication, the ability to use words to paint pictures you know, my dad affirmed me very positively. I remember it as a little kid. He just said, this kid will never shut up. I had a rough childhood. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was talking all the time, but it, but it, was, it turned out I had the, that ability. And when, when in the hands of the Holy Spirit, given to the Lord, I've seen it used to help people see things differently, to help encourage, to build up, to paint pictures that help people have vision. I've seen great things. I'll also tell you, Words can be very hurtful and destructive. And when you have a gift with words, I can't tell you how many times that area of strength has been an area where I've just put my hand in my, or my face in my hands and just said, God, what was I thinking? God, why did I say that? Because they come so quickly and so easily. The damage, I can't tell you how many times I've had to sit down with my wife and say, Honey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I am so sorry. Areas of strength are sometimes our greatest temptation. And they can do the greatest damage. As we were talking, some of the pastors we were talking through uh, for small group notes, Mark McLemore brought up, well, even something like compassion. And I'm like, oh, man, compassion, isn't that always good? Well, compassion is in its purest form. But the root of that, that, that tendency, when it's done in such a way, and Mark's point was when someone then avoids confrontation. They avoid confrontation, and they refuse to kind of speak the hard truth that, in love that needs to be said. And they just let something hurtful go. And that, that mercy and that compassion just kind of causes them to, well, I better not. It can become a problem. And it can cause great damage. We even talked, how about some, something as simple as a gift with business? And I know we probably have a lot of business people in this room, and you may think, some of you may think, well, you know, um, this is all, I did this, and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. No, you didn't. If you're a successful business person, God gave you gifts. You, you have the ability to see systems in a way that others don't. You see people, and you can read them and place them in places where they're good and it, it, where, where they're gifted, and, you, and you're able to build an organization. You're able to work with and through other people to accomplish a corporate goal. That's a gift. And that gift can either be used for great things, kingdom things. They can be used to employ people and bring good things in people's lives and build people up and encourage them and ultimately even advance the kingdom of God. Your gift in business can be used to bring about God's purpose in people's lives. Or your gift in business can be used, as we've all seen, to manipulate, to control, to abuse, to cheat, to fraud. Gifts, when they're placed in the hands of the Spirit, are powerful things. When they're in the flesh, they become very dangerous. Now, I want to suggest that the Scripture gives us three instances of tools that Jesus used, that the Lord used to shape and chisel the rock into the man that ultimately was a huge blessing and changed the world, really, when you think about the church's role in Western civilization. Three tools he used to shape the rock. The first is a look, the second is a word, and the third is a vision. A look, a word, and a vision. All these are instances that happen on the night Jesus was betrayed or after that. Let's start with a look, because sometimes God uses a look. Just a look. Matthew 26, 33 through 35, they're in the upper room. Jesus begins talking, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter speaks up again, first one to speak. If all, if, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never... Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows. In other words, before morning, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Well, you know how that story went. Jesus is arrested that night. Peter is outside the courtyard where Jesus was being questioned. And he's warming himself by a fire. Someone asks him, wait a minute, you were with him, right? No, no, I don't know him. Another, no, you're a Galilean, right? You were one of them. No, I've never known, I don't know the man. Third person asks him, and he ends up cursing just to prove the point. No, I didn't know him. Rooster crows. And at that moment, Jesus turns, and Peter catches his eye. Can you imagine that moment? Luke 22, 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. A look. The power of just a look. You ever gotten a look, the look from someone? And known, oh, that's, this is not good. I remember when I was 12 years old, my dad could give a look, Okay. I was 12 years old, and uh, I don't know what made me do this to this day. I go, what was I thinking? We grew up, I grew up playing polo, and we grew up, grew up on a lot of wealthy people. And we were at a polo club at one point, and they were an outdoor tent with tables, my dad and some folks having dinner. And there was a couple there, and this was a very wealthy man and his wife. And they had actually, they were the founders of the Palm Beach Polo and Country Club, one of the biggest clubs in the world. And so, I mean, these were important people. His wife was from England. I'm playing with some kids out. We come in. We come into the tent. My dad introduces me. And so she says, oh, how do you do? In her beautiful British accent. And in my crazy ADD, I'll blame it on whatever 12-year-old mine. it just pops out. Oh, I do quite fine. It's just that moment. And even I, you know, my friends laugh. You know, they're like, I'm like, what was I thinking? And my dad gave me. The look. I think nothing like the look Jesus gave Peter, quite frankly. But the look simply said, I am going to kill you. You are so deceased. And I was like, oh God, okay, okay, bye. I tried to make, cover it up and I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah, that was different than the look that, that Simon Peter got. And something tells me that as, no matter how much time went by, Peter was never able to kind of laugh about that and look back and go, oh yeah, that was funny, kind of like I I can on the look I got. He was never able to find any humor in that because it broke his heart. You see, that look, and this is what a look from the Lord really does In that look, God revealed a portion of Peter's character. And the thing about a look is he couldn't deny it. Okay, this wasn't just a, now I'm telling you, Peter, this was, he just did it. And Jesus saw it. He was caught. It's really what it was. And I am convinced that any look Jesus gave was full of love, but full of truth. And at that moment, the delusion Peter had been under, because he was in denial. I'll never, Lord, no way I would ever. He saw his heart. Peter saw. And Jesus was there, and there was a level of accountability in that. And yeah, it says, he went outside, and he wept bitterly. I I get it. Have you ever had God give you a look? Or some moment where you knew something was revealed, something that maybe you thought was one way was like another? I mean, something as simple as you're yelling at your kids in the grocery store and one of the pastors walks around the corner. Hello. I do that, by the way. If I catch you in an awkward time like that, I try to get more pious, you know. Bless you, how are you today? (laughs) Stop screaming at that innocent child. (laughs) What's even worse is when you're the pastor and you're screaming at your kid and one of your congregants comes around, hey, pastor. (laughs) And they have that look of glee on their face, you know. But see, the thing is, a look is it, a, the look is like, okay, you were caught and there's something real and it's out there now. And God always sees. And sometimes he has that moment when you know, this happened, and you know the Lord's there and you're like Lord. And I pray we have the wisdom, like Peter, to see what we're supposed to see, and let that look bring the repentance that it's intended to bring. Sometimes God uses a look.
1: We want to take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Ozzaro of River City Community Church in a message called What to Do with the Rock. If you'd like to hear the full message or even watch the video podcast from Pastor Sean, it's available right now on demand on the sermons page at the River City website called reallife.org. And if you think you'd like to visit River City Community Church, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
0: Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.
1: And back to this message called What to Do with a Rock. This is Real Life Radio.
0: Gifts are only as good as the hands they're placed in. Sometimes God gives you a word. Sometimes God will give a word. After the denial and after the crucifixion, even the resurrection, Remember, Peter says, hey, we're going fishing. And they go out and try to fish, and they don't catch anything. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice from the shore that says, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And it's like this deja vu reminder of when they were called at the beginning of their ministry, one of the instances where their early encounters with Christ. Throw the net on the other side, and all of a sudden, they have all these fish. And it's at that moment Peter recognizes it's the Lord. And it says he jumps out of the boat and just goes to Jesus. Now, he's not spoken to Jesus since this denial. And what's interesting is they get there, Jesus has got a little fire going, and he started, made breakfast for them, some fish and some bread. And so they sit around, and there's still no mention that Jesus and Peter talk. There's been no communication since the look. And so you can just imagine these guys sitting around this campfire, they've just eaten, and it gets quiet. You know, nobody's talking. And John 21, 15 tells us when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I love that we don't know what these are. The Bible just doesn't tell us. Because Jesus obviously made a look or a gesture. Was he talking about, do you love me more than the other disciples? Do you love me more than they do? Or was he pointing at the fish, the nets, the boats, his career that he was kind of actually tempted to go back to? Jesus said, feed my sheep. That word was so powerful in the life of Peter. Because first of all, it it was a word of conviction. It affirmed what Peter, that question, that conviction, that guilt that Peter, that question of the love, it was the question Peter had been asking. You want to know what's so interesting? I love that Jesus asked him three times, and that's exactly how many times Peter had denied him. It's like he allowed him. He had made three denials. He allowed him the opportunity to three times say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But with it, there was this invitation. Feed my sheep, feed my lamb. In other words, Peter, your leadership isn't done. Your failure is not, is not final. It's not going to have the last word. In that word, there was possibility, Hope commitment. It's a sense of calling. And in it was a word of love from Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. It was a word of love, which I believe every word from the Lord will always be. It might be hard, it might be challenging, it might be honest, but it will always be a word of love. Some of you maybe this morning need a word from God. Just to know what he has to say about something you've been thinking about, been walking through, been addressing. I challenge you to listen. Sometimes he uses a look, sometimes he gives you a word. And for Peter, this word was life changing. Gifts are only as good as the hands they're placed in. And they're in good hands when they're in his. Last thing, sometimes God gives you a new vision. A new vision. Now, this is after the day of Pentecost, they've been filled with the Spirit. But Peter is still the rock. He is still a hard head, and new things do not come easily to the rock head, okay? Well, the thing his great strength that made him so perfect for what he was called to do was also a challenge. And God is getting ready to do something that is totally new and transformative. And so in Acts chapter 10, we're told that there's a man named Cornelius. Now he is a centurion, and he's over what's called the Italian regiment, okay? So they're all Gentiles, okay? Romans. We're told that Cornelius, though, is a devout man. He's God-fearing. So even though he's not a Christian, he didn't know about Jesus yet, he knew about the God of the Jews, and he'd really come to believe he is God. And so Cornelius has an angel visit him in a vision. And he's told, this angel says, send some messengers and find a man in Joppa named Simon Peter, and he will tell you what you must do. And so we go now to Peter. Cornelius sends the messengers. And before they get there, we're told, Acts 10, 9 through 16, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, I don't even know what that means. Did he fall asleep? Was it just a vision? Was he daydream? And all of a sudden, God gives him this vision he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, we look at that and go, hey, that's good news. We think that would have been great. In fact, we got a whole ministry of outdoorsmen here. That's their kind of life verse. Get up, kill and eat. And they just get all emotional, man. Praise the Lord, that's awesome, man. I knew them vegetarians was wrong, man. Jesus wants me. Praise the Lord, this is so good. I love the Bible. (laughs) I mean, you know, these guys are having church over there. Listen to Peter's response. I'm sorry, I took that a little too far. (laughs) Verse 14, back to the Bible. Come on, you guys, get serious. (laughs) Verse 14, Peter hears that, and he goes, Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Well, it turns out these these animals were all listed as unclean or impure. The dietary laws that Judaism had for its people, designed to teach them about purity, were strict. And Peter had never violated those. Even though he's a Christian following Jesus, he was a devout Jew. And now God is stretching him. He says, I've never done that, Lord. I could never. The rock... Can't see past that even though he knows God is talking to him. The voice spoke to him a second time, listen, it said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. What is it with Peter and three times? It takes time you gotta get through the rock. Got to get through the rock. Happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And what's interesting is he didn't want Peter to understand, and they didn't. They then, they then did not require all the Gentiles everyone else to have these dietary laws. That's why, because of what God taught Peter here. But he was about to find out this wasn't about eating meat or any of that at all, because some Gentiles knocked, and they tell him about Cornelius. And the Jews had, had to maintain their, their purity and their cultural and religious distinction. They had been very separate. This was not for the Gentiles. And God's about to blow Peter's mind by showing him, no, no, this is. My plan has always been not just to save and redeem the Hebrew people, but my plan is to use this people to bring a Messiah and save the whole world. That was the plan the whole time, to save all of us, Jews, Gentiles, alive. And this was something that Peter would not have been ready for without this vision. He goes... He preaches Jesus to Cornelius and his his household. They all become believers. They're all filled with the Spirit. And then Peter's got to go back to Jerusalem and say, dudes, you are not going to believe this. Gentiles were filled with the Spirit just like we were on the day of Pentecost. And for all of them, it was this mind-bending paradigm shift. God's doing something bigger than we've ever imagined. And it took a look, a word, and a vision to get it through the rock. And to help him become the rock that Jesus would use to help build his church. He now had a new sense of purpose and direction. Has God maybe got more for you than you can imagine? In fact, here's a question. If God were to give you a nickname, if Jesus were to meet you, you know, and look you square in the face, you know, Elvis, you know, and he'd say his name, you know, and he'd look at him and then say, you are... What would he say? He'd have something else. Bob? Julie? What what would he say? You are because and I'm, you know, we all get all self kind of deprecating or you know, because of negative nip, nickname, stuff like that. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that stuff. This is what made Peter God had put this in him. It made him able to do the most amazing mission that he could have ever imagined. And use Peter to change the world. Western civilization. We're here 2,000 years later talking about the guy because God had placed in him a rock that when turned over to Jesus was a powerful force for the kingdom of God. What has God placed in you? What would he name you? That when turned over to him will become a force for the kingdom of God. See, because that's the real deal, isn't it? If we will surrender those things, they become transformative they become life-giving in his hands and so the challenge for us is to submit those things and let him begin to do his work
2: Tears so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Too sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self-decease. Just from Jesus, simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How high peruvin' over and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more.
1: Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio in this message called The Followers and What to Do with a Rock. If you'd like to hear the full unedited message and the series, it's available right now when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road, right behind Rotama Park. You can see all the details, directions, and service times also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, and we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.